What a week it's been, with some farms underwater when over a month's worth of rain fell in a matter of hours. We'll look at the impact on harvest in a moment. Also this week, integrated pest management. It's apparently the future, but what does it mean? If all we're trying to do is redress the balance between a a pest and a natural enemy, then possibly 40 to 60% control is, is adequate. And after a heated town hall debate this week, what next for Louth Cattle Market? Keep it where it is and put a new roof on that place and shut up about the whole matter. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. We uh, have to start with the weather, not the forecast. Uh, We'll do that later as usual. But looking at just how the weather is impacting on this year's harvest, from June's mini heatwave, which made some start harvest early, to this week's downpour, a month and a half of rain in 24 hours. Indeed, Farm 24 was almost renamed Rain 24, had it fallen a few hours later. It's, uh, of course, been a bit calmer since Wednesday, but for how long? Joe Wheeler is weather forecaster for Sky News. She herself lives on the edge of a farm in Lincolnshire. She knows how important the weather is to agriculture. Uh, Joe, there's that song, Blame It on the Weatherman. Uh, I won't blame it on the weather, Joe, I promise. Thank you. What's happening with our weather at the moment? Oh, well, in essence, it's, it's the jet stream. Let's blame the jet stream. It's too far south. And it needs to move its way northwards before we start to get some calm, settled weather. Just because it's where it is doesn't mean to say that we don't get any good weather. And I can say with some authority that, in fact, on the east side of the country, we actually get some of the better weather anyway, even when there is rain around. Although we did take quite a battering late last week, didn't we? Um, Fair bit of rain there. But, uh, yeah, I think we're looking at uh, some settled periods of weather and then some unsettled ones. And uh, and temperatures really not very spectacular at the moment. It does seem a a, a kind of strange year, almost. We didn't really have much of a winter. Um, We had a heat wave at the beginning of of June. August, or sorry, July certainly was uh, was almost a washout. One day it was sunny, one day um, it was raining. Are there any trends that we can look at? As you say, this is just British weather. It's just British weather to be perfectly honest, Um, and that's why we talk about it so much. Um, It's not always quite as critical as it is when we're facing the harvest. You know, uh, does it matter whether we can sit out in the garden or not sit out in the garden? We might have a glorious September, in which case we can sit out then. But when you've got to get the harvest in, when crops are reliant upon the weather, then obviously it is critical. Um, And very difficult to say whether it's right or it's wrong, it's usual or it's not usual, it simply is. One thing's for sure with with farmers, it was too hot in June when they wanted a bit of rain. Now they'd like it not to rain. You can't win, can you? No, of course you can't. Um, but then again, you know, they're, they're dealing with nature and nature wants to do its own thing. And if it needs water and, and you've got a, you've got a drought, uh, then obviously that's not good. And if you're trying to gather the crops in and it's raining on you, that's not good either. Um, so they are heavily reliant upon the, the weather and what it's doing. And in terms of timings and storage and all sorts of things, you know, it, it obviously is a very important subject. Can you bring us any hope? Is that uh, jet stream going to move and are things going to get a little bit better? Um, There is no sign of that jet stream moving just yet. I'm afraid. Um, But as I say, just because we're seeing unsettled conditions doesn't necessarily mean to say that we won't see any drier spells either. Um, Last Thursday was lovely, absolutely great. Um, You know, the weekend's not been too bad either. Then we'll see uh, some more changeable conditions into this week. But again, doesn't necessarily mean to say we're going to see heavy rain. Okay. well, all we can say at the moment is unsettled, continuing, yes? 
That's the one. Joe Wheeler, weather forecaster for Sky News. Well, uh, listening in to my chat with Joe there was Andrew Ward. He's uh, alongside me. Andrew, are you, um, like the weather, unsettled? Well, it's one of those things, Sean. The weather is something that you can't do anything about. And, and as much as it is causing massive problems in farming at the moment, I'm, I'm a firm believer that why, why sort of moan and gripe about something you can't control, such as the weather? There's plenty of things in farming that you can control, and I think we ought to moan about those and, and do that. Those sort, but uh, those things. But while while the weather is as bad as it is, if you make every opportunity count, so when it is fine, when it is dry, even if it's a Sunday afternoon at five o'clock at night, you get on the combine and go out till midnight or two a.m. or whenever. You know, as long as you make every opportunity count, then I don't. I think the weather you can't you can't control it. So uh, we just get on with it and work around it. But it is very very difficult at the moment. And how is harvest for you at the moment? How's it been going well, so far? It's interesting. We we um we have started very early. I think we had the earliest start to the rape harvest we've ever had um and so the rape harvest we finished about a week ago now and for some reason or other we've had the best yields we've, we've ever had uh, you know as an average across across the farm um and so that that's done really well but saying that uh, the area we had of rape would normally have taken us probably five days uh, to combine but because of the weather um, I think it took us probably 12 or 14 days to get it because we, we really never had a full day you know, at it and uh, during the, the sort of rape harvest I think we had 12 days of rain out of the 14 days we were cutting and it was just you know, a nightmare trying to, trying to do it um, but it was early and, and because the rape was early then obviously the wheat, the winter wheat is early as well and how are yields at the moment? I've been speaking to a number of farmers. I saw um, um, Steve Ward, your namesake yes, almost, uh, yes. the, the other day at, at Uncle Henry's. And, and he was saying, despite the weather, it was when it was really heavy rain when I saw him, he said the yield seems to be holding up. Things look okay. Yes, they, they do. It, it depends a bit on, on what crop you're looking at. We've done some second wheats only this last week, which were an absolute disaster. Luckily, we haven't got many, many acres of the second wheat. And they, they've done around about seven and a half, uh, 7.8 tonnes a hectare, which has been which is really poor for us and yet we've had some first wheats after all seed rape uh, which which have done better at, at 10.2 however that's still well down we, we would normally expect to be heading for 12 tonne a hectare after that so the, i think the, the weather um throughout the year if you like the the very very hot spell we had in june has taken its toll and and uh, the spring as well the dry spring took its toll and and uh, we are without doubt we're not getting the yields that that we should be getting and that is all down to the the, the wrong weather at the wrong time We've talked about it before, obviously, with your farm. You supply a lot to McDonald's, don't you? Yes, we, d- we do. Um, it's interesting that the oilseed rape we grow, uh, the oil, um, when, when our rapeseed is crushed, the oil that comes out of that goes to McDonald's uh, because it, it, it's a very healthy type of, uh, type of oil. Uh, it's very good for the heart and low trans fats and all that. So, yes, we do. And, and, and I'm quite proud to have that sort of connection with McDonald's. And a lot of people think McDonald's only serve rubbish. Um, but, but they do sort of source all their, all their food uh, from reputable sources. Um, so oilseed rape for us is a very important crop on the farm and because of the McDonald's premium we, we get on when we sell it that uh, it, it is a good paying crop on the farm as well and with the yields we've had this year it will probably be the star crop of, of harvest. Mm. And of course then we get into the sugar bee harvest of course. And that is another uh, crop that yes that mm. is very topsy-turvy as you know and, um, and I think you have Nick in here uh, now don't you most weeks or on and off every other week talking about the crop yeah, and I yeah. know Nick um, and yeah it, it's an interesting crop that the price has dipped a lot over the recent years however with the recent weather we've been having I would say um, root crops so sugar beet and potatoes are two crops that have really really benefited and loved this weather we've been having but the sugar beet now 
we need some sun, we need some hot weather to put the sugars on. And we've got the root weight now, there's no doubt about that, but we need the sugars uh, to increase. And so I think to, to get that, we need some hot weather and, and sunshine. Andrew Ward there. And we've a double helping of the man known on social media as At Wheat Daddy as he's back a little later discussing integrated pest management biocontrols with Rob Jacobson of RJC. More on that soon. What effect is the weather having, not just here, but globally, on prices for open field? Chris Spratt can update us this week. Morning, Sean. What's uh, what's the latest, then? Well, this time of year, it's often more about logistics, um, getting all seed rape and barleys off farm before wheat arrives, and this year's no exception. Uh, I think despite the time window that's been given by the recent rains, it's been uh, tight in some instances, as always. And obviously the rain delay has been the main talking point of the week, two to three inches plus over 24, 48 hours. Hasn't really been uncommon. And some growers have even had crops underwater where rivers of dikes have burst their banks. So not only will we need the crop to dry out, but also for the land to be fit to travel. Um, and that will depend on what soil type and, and drainage growers are on, really. Um, I suppose the concern from all this is really the the workload backs up and uh, drilling conditions need to improve, improve for all seed rape plantings, which are really should be about to start. It just shows us, Sean, really, there's no blueprint for farming. Each year holds a, a different challenge. Anyway, we do have to keep looking forward. Seed deliveries in full swing out of the open field plant at Colsterworth, and if you haven't made that decision yet... Get in touch. Uh, we've got a very useful seed selector now on our, uh, uh, as regards cereals on our uh, open field members area on the website, and it is a very useful bit of kit, narrowing down the possibilities and, and pointing growers in the right direction. Market-wise, things have been active. Spot feed barley trading uh, has been good. Open field have been loading boats this week for Portugal, Ireland and Spain, mainly from the southern ports, and that currently remains competitive, and hopefully we might see more export demand going forward. Domestically, consumers have been factoring in as much barley as they can. I think this may change if the discount to wheat continues to narrow if we get more feed rather than milling wheat due to the wet weather. Uh, But as I say, remaining export competitive uh, both on feed and malting barley really is the key to disposing of a surplus. Crop reports, well, they're varying uh, on a local basis. I think one of my growers summed it up when he said the good crops are good and the poor crops are poor. And I think that might be the story of this year's uh, yields, really. Big variations dependent on the several factors throughout the season. And, of course, the crops have been under a reasonable amount of stress at various stages. Of course, in the in the North Midlands, or the Midlands North, rather, everyone is really on the edge of the seats waiting to see when harvest will begin in earnest again and what impact on quality the rains have had. Certainly on malt barley and milling wheat, uh, where, you know, on the milling wheat, 40% of the acres drilled with wheat were down to bread-making varieties, so there is room for a little bit of attrition there, uh, but there is still a lot out in the field. Harvest delays in Germany have given a window for some spot cargoes uh, for immediate loading of all seed rape to be traded out of the wash ports and uh, this really in a a, a domestic market that still may may well prove tight. As far as prices are concerned, spot feed barley 115 to 118 X farm with November 17 at 120 to 123. Spring barley on a max 185 basis 140 to 145 for harvest with November 155 to 160. There's been some trade done for new crop for harvest 18 actually, uh, circa 165 for November and 170 for the spring of 2019. Germany, being a big producer and user of malting barley, still has 25 to 30% of their crop in the field, so that is causing a bit of concern. 
Feed wheat, well, some immediate premiums of a few pound over the normal for delivery today, yesterday, as it were. But as available, wheat X farm is 135 to 137 for harvest, with November at 138 to 142, and November 18 valued at 142 to 145 X farm. Bread making premium still about £15, which is a bit better, but one to watch as we see the rest of harvest unravel, really. Oilseed rape, uh, spot movement, well, depends when it needs to go, but 304 to 308. Uh, but anyone who can wait a while is rewarded as there's some useful carries going forward with November 17 at 320 to 325. Uh, beans for harvest, 155. Again, waiting to see a few more samples before we can make any decision on quality or yields. So, really, Sean, we should be talking about harvest being in full swing and sample results uh, uh, flowing out the door, but not not as yet. Pressure, I think, will come when it starts now. There's a lot of work to do out there. Uh, I think the Open Field Lab at Colsterworth, they test forty-five to 50,000 samples a season, and uh, I think they're going to earn their, earn their crust over the next few months. Absolutely, and, and you know, as we've been talking already on the programme, it's all about the weather, isn't it? We, we just yeah. want to settle spell for a bit. Really, yeah, there we? is. Like I say, there's no blueprint for farming when that uh, man up above... Has more to say about it than we do. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh well, we can we can but hope. All right, Chris. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Chris Spratt from Open Field Biocontrol. It's seen as the future of farming, certainly in controlling pests in the field. But what is integrated pest management, and what's being done? Rob Jacobson is from consultancy firm RJC, helping horticulture glasshouses in particular. Andrew Ward caught up with him at a recent Farmers Weekly Arable Horizons event. I work in the glasshouse crop industry, specifically with protected edible crops, and I've been doing this for about 30 years now, developing IPM programs which are based. An RPM, obviously, meaning integrated, integrated pest, pest management, yeah. and integrated pest management, of course, is. The backbone of which is biocontrol, and that's why I was invited to speak here today. But we also draw on physical and cultural control methods, all integrated with chemical pesticides, but perhaps not the sort of chemicals that people have used in the past, not the old-fashioned broad-spectrum chemicals, but chemicals that can be integrated with our biological controls. And... That is one of the challenges, finding ways to integrate them. You've done it, you're in the middle of doing it, and in broad-scale arable terms, we're not there yet, and, and in the glasshouse terms and in, in tomatoes and things, obviously Lincolnshire being a large arable county, there are glasshouses across in the east in certain areas, but not where we are at the moment. And, and looking at going forward, how, how far would you say this is away in, in mainstream arable areas? I think it's very difficult because uh, there there hasn't really been enough effort put into this in in the past. Um, There's a lot of catching up to be done, but some progress is being made. Yeah. So, so how do you say, um, when you're looking at, at, at developing new strategies, obviously you create something that controls a pest and then something else comes along that, that uh, you have to do other strategies, control what you've just done because it undoes all your work. So just explain a bit about the process of how you develop a strategy for controlling a pest. Well, I think over the years we've learned that it's, there's a single control measure is not enough against a pest, is not enough in an IPM programme. For instance, we will use a primary control measure, which is usually biologically based. It's usually a parasite or a predator. In our case, we release those. I think in arable crops, it might be a naturally occurring one, which you 
try and uh, en enhance its, mm. uh, its presence by one means or another. That is our primary control, which we use to suppress the pest throughout the whole season. But there are, there's inevitably times when that's not enough. Weather conditions or something else will give the pest the advantage. And we've always got to keep an eye on our economic damage thresholds. And if we see the pest approaching an economic damage threshold, we need what I like to call a second line of defence that we can put in very quickly to knock the, the pest population growth back a little. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be the, the level of control that we would aim for with a, a chemical pesticide if it was being used on its own. Then we'd be looking at 95% plus. If all we're trying to do is redress the balance between a, a pest and a natural enemy, then possibly 40 to 60% control is, is adequate. And that enables us to use lots of products that would have previously been considered uh, either, well, possibly ineffective because yeah. they just didn't give a sufficient control. And you, you, could, you could say, though, that obviously in your system you're in a controlled environment, if you like, with it being in a glass house. So, so how, how does that then sort of uh, get out of hand that you have to develop a new strategy to control something when you're not in the open air? Yeah, well, there's, there's several reasons. Probably the, most, the one that's um, closest to our minds at the moment is when a new pest arrives from, from overseas. We've recently had a, 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 a moth um, with a whose caterpillar mines into the leaves and the fruit of tomato plants. That arrived in the country a few years ago. We had no control measures whatsoever for that at the time. And it, in the first year, it caused losses of £60,000 to a single tomato grower in a hectare of tomatoes. £60,000 a hectare? Over two, two months in the summer. Oh. Now, you... You have to appreciate mm. that these crops are worth anything from £600,000 mm. to £750,000 in that sort of region. But it's still a significant hectare loss. Per, per season. Mm. But, so, but the margins are actually quite small due to the pressures that have been brought on the industry from, well, from lots of different angles, not least by the prices that the supermarkets will pay. So margins are actually quite small. Losses such as I've just described are not sustainable and no. had we not found a, a short-term control measure for, that, for the pest that summer, that tomato grower would have gone out of business that, that summer. It's, so it was so how, serious. How widespread is this sort of control within Glasshouse um, users at the moment and farmers? Oh, every tomato grower, every protected edible crop grower, so we're talking tomatoes, cucumbers, yeah. peppers, aubergines... Um, Every single one in the UK is using integrated pest management based on biological control techniques. So, I mean, I've obviously good friends with, um, you've heard of Barfoots down at Botley yes. on, on the south coast, and their farm manager's a good friend of mine, and they're growing a lot of peppers and all sorts of things, you know, on, mm -hmm. on thousands of acres of scale, and they're all into this, are they, and using this? Every grower is. Oh, every, every grower growing the sort of the crops I've just listed are using IPM in. Yeah. And, it, this is this has gradually evolved over over thirty or forty years, and but for, certainly for tomato growers, the big turning point was around was in the late eighties when we started using bumblebees to pollinate our crops. Now, 
There's big financial advantages there in that it reduces labour, it produces better quality fruit, it produces higher yields. And the economics of tomato production have changed so much in the intervening period mm. that there's just no way we could grow a cost-effective tomato crop without bumblebees now. So that means there's no turning back. We're, we're totally committed to IPM. We, there's no way we could go back to broad-spectrum insecticide use. Rob Jacobson there speaking with Andrew Ward. The big question, I guess, is who's going to pay for it? It is a good question and one we'll explore next week on the programme. Louth Town Hall was packed on Wednesday night, a public meeting into the future of the town's cattle market with uh, overwhelming support for the market to continue. As we've already mentioned on the programme, the council is consulting at the moment on plans to either keep it, move it or scrap it. Some have claimed nearby farmers could go out of business if it was to close. Here's what those at the weekly market have had to say about it. Why build another one if I could do this up for less money? Keep this where it is. Put a new roof on that place and shut up about the whole matter. And if they close it down, well, of course, everything goes to Newark, which is, to me, is not on. Yeah, it'd be good to keep it. It wants to keep going, but there's not enough cattle comes here. Not enough comes and a bit short of buys, but you want to do something with the market other than one day a week. That'd be the best thing, wouldn't it? Oh, we think so anyway. It, it, ridiculous to not list and spend build a new one, all the millions. That'd be, I don't think that any good. Not really. People tend to think that farmers are, you know, have rolling acres. There are an awful lot of very small farmers in, in Lincolnshire. Farmers often have bills to pay and so forth. Bringing a couple of cows to market or some sheep, um, that gives them instant, uh, they get paid within three days, which if they go to other markets, they have to wait 28 days for. And that tides them over. And so many of our farmers live hand to mouth. I mean, I don't think people understand the rural poverty which goes on um, around Lincolnshire. Just a few views there over the future of Louth Market. That consultation closes on September the 6th, so you've uh, a few weeks yet for you to have your say. As we're discussing Louth, what were the prices at Thursday's market? Well, in the prime ring, there was an average of 210.73 pence per kilo. F. Wallace and Sons of Biscothorpe topped the market with a steer at 237.5 pence with £1,382, the top price per head for a steer. The top price clean cattle per kilo weighed 582 kilograms, selling for 237.5 pence. Top price per head was £1,382. For store cattle, they reported an exceptional trade in the storing for the time of year, with a store cattle average of £900. The top price overall was for a limousine steer from Stedman Partners of Bucknell at £1,138. Prime lambs averaged 191.51 pence per kilo and 83.93 pounds per head. Right, we've uh, talked a lot about the weather already, but uh, do we need to see what's coming for the week ahead? Uh, Stand by. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, sunny spells today. Possibility of a shower in places, though. Clouding over later, highs of 20 Celsius. The wind from the south at five miles an hour. 
overnight tonight. Cloudy but dry, lows of 12 Celsius. That wind still from the south, southeast, uh, 6 to 10 miles an hour. And then tomorrow, looks like being dry but cloudy, 22 Celsius. The wind from the south, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Staying cloudy Monday into Tuesday, a little warmer as well, 16 the low, the wind continuing from the south at 5 miles an hour, and then it looks like a heavy band of rain sweeping through on Tuesday, particularly in the afternoon, 20 the high, the wind starting from the south at 2 or 3 miles an hour, more from the east at 6 to 10 miles an hour later in the day. Tuesday into Wednesday, when that band of rain has swept over, it should be dry, but it will stay very cloudy. 14 Celsius the low overnight. The wind, more from the north, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And then for Wednesday, the middle of the week, the possibility of a shower, but mostly dry. High is a little warmer again, 22 Celsius. The wind from the west-northwest at around 10 miles an hour. Latter end of the week, remaining unsettled, further showers possible, particularly um, overnight. Possibility of some sunshine mixed in there as well. Highs generally in the early 20s, with lows in their mid-teens. And that's the forecast, and as Joe Wheeler said earlier, unsettled. Let's sum it up in one word. Next week, more on that chat with Andrew Ward and Rob Jacobson, looking at the money side of integrated pest management, plus as ever, whatever else the week has to offer. Until then, uh, let's hope for a dry week's harvest, shall we? We can hope.